Inspired in part by Sadia Hartman's Lose Your Mother, Lose Your Sister is a meditation on Black feminist sport and diaspora. Treating pop culture as a text, each week we will explore a different topic, film, show, book, event, scandal, etc. A note on creation. As we set out to build this podcast together as an exercise in friendship, cultural criticism, and diasporic exchange, we find strength in remembering that we come from a history of people who have loved and learned from one another across larger distances than this one. In the words of Saidiya Hartman, I too live in the time of slavery, by which I mean I'm living in the future created by it. Situated in this future, Lucia's sister considers how Black people find their way back to one another, interpersonally, artistically, and politically. Hey Jordan, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Ooh, you know what? I'm not gonna lie. As far as I'm concerned, 2020 ends when the pandemic ends. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. It's the longest year of my life. Um, yeah, 2020 was a lot, and honestly, this start it still kind of feels like part two. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping that the year surprises me in a good way. Yeah, no, it's 2020 revenge. Roman Reloaded as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> there's a new strain in the UK. I went, yeah, I went back home um, after Thanksgiving, um, which is one of the reasons why we've had a bit of a hiatus, sorry for the gap. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so yeah, we had a gap because of like finals and grad applications and things like that. Yes. Yeah, um, the UK is in a new lockdown. We have a new strain of the virus, <laughs> so... At least y'all can lock down. The way the U.S. is just like, it's just like letting everyone just do what they want to do is like a real problem for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the whites are storming the Capitol. There's all kinds of, you know, just, yeah. like, just like exciting things going on. <laughs> I can't believe my eyes. But at least you guys have better testing than in the U.K. I guess. But it feels like people aren't giving out the tests. Oh. Like, I don't feel like that many people, I don't know that many people who've been tested. Like, I don't feel like the information is is as public as maybe it could be. Oh, okay. All right. Because, um, yeah, there's then barely testing people in the UK, really. Um, you have to have symptoms to get tested. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, you have to pay, like, at least £100 for a test. Eve. Um, yeah, which is ridiculous. So it's not accessible at all. They're not doing a good job of tracing it or enforcing things but yeah yeah I'm I'm hoping that things get better but I I expect that they'll probably get worse before they get better that's Um, that pessimism in you (laughs) I guess (laughs) I just do I think especially in the U.S. I just think it's it's been handled really poorly um and I think that there's still too much range in terms of how each individual state and county is handling things Mm -hmm. so I have a feeling that Number probably going to jump, especially post holidays. A lot of people traveled, um, and so I think it's. I think we're going to see some some spikes. Um, I mean, and you have all those people like from that that Trump rally in like the Capitol and everything. Like, all those people are going to have to go home, which is like again like even more like potential spreading because um, yeah. none of them were wearing masks. So yeah, so I I imagine that it's. It's not going to get much better just yet. The way that they called up the wall like cockroaches. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes. It's not what is going on. Okay, so what media are you waiting for? Lately, I've been watching so much. 
um i feel like throughout quarantine i've been going through weird binge cycles where like i watch a bunch of stuff and then afterwards i'll be like there's nothing to watch and then i'm just kind of like bored um and i'll start like reading and stuff again but recently i've been watching watching shows again less movies but i finished queen's gambit which was actually really good oh, okay. um i'm gonna watch it yeah i watched queen's gambit which was cool. Um, I used to play chess, so it was interesting. Like, I, it'd been a long time since I had, like, really thought mm. about chess, so that was cool. I'm watching, like, Hell's Kitchen, like, old episodes of, like, early, like, Hell's Kitchen, where, like, Gordon Ramsay's, like, in his kind of, you know, early 2000s prime. Like, yes. he's just, like, oh. yelling and saying things that he should not be allowed to say. Yeah, so I've been watching that. I'm starting to think there might be something vaguely colonial about why we feel comfortable letting like old white British men yell at us, but like that's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. Anybody can get it. Anybody no, I agree. Anybody can get it, but I do think there's a reason why Americans in particular like that. Even oh, like um, right. I see, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I think there's something particular about it. Um, because it's like why. Why is this interesting? Like there, like there, there are rude American men who could yell at you and teach you how to cook, but for some reason, like we want the British guy to do it, and that's my thing. Point, points have been made. Um, <laughs> uh, crazy, crazy, crazy. I haven't been watching my. Okay, I started watching Girlfriends. Omg, how do you feel about it? I, I, <laughs> I, um, I don't see what you guys see. I won't lie. Um, that's, that's, maybe, that's okay. Maybe it's because you guys have seen it through, um, I guess, a um, veil of nostalgia. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think I think nostalgia is a big part of it. Yeah. Um, I think the show is probably also more significant for like what it is versus like how it's written. Yeah, I see that as well. Because I'm just like, I don't believe any of you guys are friends, really. <laughs> Do you guys like each other? Even like Tony and Joan's relationship, which is meant to be the oldest relationship on the show. Tony's gorgeous, by the way. Mm-hmm. I love looking at Tony. Um, but I'm just like, why do you guys throw each other under the bus like that? I yeah. Know. Also, the um, theme song's ugly. I know that's a very random. <laughs> My girlfriend. I'm like, why are you? Why are you yelling? <laughs> not you. Not you coming for the theme song. I think the theme song is weird more so because the dancing they do in the intro doesn't match the song because i think the song was made like i want to say the day before they went on air they said oh, <laughs> let's let's cook something up in the studio because it's also the actual song itself it feels very lazy to me Just, i'm weak the lyrics, not you, not you eating them up other black sitcoms like this the music yeah excellent like, that's fair that's fair i think that to me, I think what I appreciate about Girlfriends more so is that like when it was on TV, I was a child. So for me, it just felt like a show for like grown women. So I feel like when I like now, like watching it, I'm kind of just like, oh, this is what like my aunts were watching or like my older cousins were watching. And like, it was something that I used to watch in passing, like as a kid, like before someone would tell me like to stop or something. <laughs> yes. um, so I feel like, I feel like it has that kind of like, um, like, I think it has that kind of, like, value for me and probably for some people of my generation who, like, weren't watching it, like, with their brains fully developed, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I don't think it's the best of, of those sitcoms, like, of that era. I do think it is nice to see Tracee Ellis Ross, though, like, 
at that age. Um, yes. And I think that I think that she's actually like a really talented like comic actress. I think that she's funny. Um, yes, and it was it was cool to see her in that. And I think I don't watch Blackish anymore, but I think it was it reminded me of I think of part of what I like about her acting style. Um, and I wish we would have got to see her in more roles because it's kind of a gap between like Definitely. her as Joan and and her as Bo on Blackish. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it just it's not giving me the same charm as like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which is like my favorite, mm-hmm. one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Um, yes. I watched the, the reunion though, which was really nice, and the the level of iconic that that show has because it ended three years before I was born, and it's my favorite TV show. How does that make? Yeah, sense? yeah. I always I I was never like a huge Fresh Prince person. Like I would watch it when it was on, but I didn't watch it regularly. I watched a lot of like good times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they, they aired that in the UK. Really? Um, yeah. It just used to be on TV land like all the time when I was a kid. And I used to watch a lot of like good, I watched a lot of old people shows <laughs> as a kid. Like now I look back and I was like, I was watching a lot of stuff that was like, like definitely not like kitty. Um, Cause I watched a lot of like good times, the nanny, hot in Cleveland, like golden mm. girls. Um, I, I watched watch a lot Girls. of old lady shows. What'd you okay. say? I want to watch Golden Girls because I haven't watched it. Yeah, I'm starting it from the beginning and like, it's actually, it's it's funny. It's it's funny. I don't know. I think my mom used to watch it every now and then, but I, I feel like a lot of these shows feel different now, like watching them like with like a more awareness of like what's yeah. going on. Yeah, but like The Nanny is still one of my, one of my favorites. Um, But I think my favorite Black Set comments is probably Living Single. I'm like rewatching it now and I've already watched it like several times. Um. I also really liked Martin as a kid. My dad was a big Martin fan, so I watched it a lot too. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, the main black sitcoms I watched was um, French Prince of Bel-Air, and in fact, funny story, um, my dad must have caught us, me and my um, sister watching Fresh Prince um, mm-hmm. like on TV, and so he bought the season box sets from one to four, and the only Aww. reason we don't have the last two was because they weren't available in the UK or something like mm-hmm. that. So I've seen like every episode of Fresh Prince so multiple, at least three times. That's so cute. And multiple times. Um, and then because we were watching those black sitcoms, my dad was like, my parents were like, well, in order to like educate us about like the history of black sitcoms, bought the mm-hmm. Cosby show. <laughs> so <laughs> I watched the Cosby show yeah. and now I'm like, oh. I feel <laughs> like I never... I feel like I never got super into the Cosby show. Like one, I guess like the time frame, like mm-hmm. that it came out. I mean, even though it was, it was syndicated. So like it, it would have been on TV still by the time I was born. But I feel like I always struggled with some of the shows where like the black people were just like very rich. Yeah. Cause I always was just kind of like, this does not, it's not familiar to me. And so I feel like I would watch them, but it never felt like that familiar. But I think that like when I would watch like good times or I would watch like, living single or martin they just seemed regular like they were like working class i mean yeah. good times like they're like definitely like poor on on good times um whereas like i would say that like martin living single like they're more like working class because even even like girlfriends they're like they're, oh, like, yeah, yeah, upper, yeah, they're up there i mean because like, when you think about like, the jobs that they have like other than maya like all of them seem like they have a lot of money yeah um, and I guess I guess maybe um, Lynn doesn't have that much either. I mean, because Lynn is <laughs> Lynn is like a, a PH, like she's on her like. Oh, that hurt me when they were coming up. <laughs> I hate that I'm most like Lynn. It just in terms of like on paper on the surface level. Yeah. 
Oh. Yeah, I think my my only issue with like with um how Lynn is written on the show. One, I think that they overdo it on the like mixed jokes for her character. It feels a little forced at times. And then two, it's annoying to me because it's like I just feel like when you think about her as a character, like there's no reason why she shouldn't have been gay or at least bi. Yes, but I guess it doesn't make any sense for her to be straight, like realistically. Yeah. Yeah, there's like an episode, there's like an episode where like a woman like makes a pass at her or something. And like, there's a very clear scene where she says that she's not gay. But it's just, it's just strange to me because it's like, it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense for her character, in my opinion. I also feel like they're in California. Like, it just feels like, I don't know, it feels like somebody should have been gay. Um, (laughs) It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's also weird because William's always making weird comments about lesbians. And I feel like it would have been nice for there to be an actual like queer woman versus like this man and his like weird fantasies. Um, It gets extra weird because I think William's sister is gay on the show. (laughs) Like in like the canon, I don't know if she ever shows up, but I think at one point he finds out that his sister is gay. That's that's a a mess. Oh, also before we get into the episode, one other piece of media that I've been waiting through is Jasmine Sullivan's Hotels. <sighs> I love Jasmine so much. I, um, love, I love that woman. She brings me to tears. I love her a lot. I have to say that while sonically, I really love this project, lyrically, it left some oh. things to be desired. <laughs> um, like, personally, like, I just, like, I don't know. I would have liked perhaps someone... Um, who just like who thinks about these issues more thoroughly to have perhaps been involved in this project um that's a good point i <laughs> don't really listen like, to lyrics anyway so i was just enjoying the- yeah like when i was listening to it i was like beautiful gowns beautiful gowns like you have an amazing voice i love this for you but the words i was just like i was like i don't know i don't know about some of this it was just giving me like bird central. Like I was just like, why are you saying this? I think Girl Like Me was probably the song where I had the most like- Oh, bro. <laughs> like most pause. Cause I was like, wait a second. Like girl, what? So when I say I don't listen to lyrics, like I mean it very literally. Like um, <laughs> my brain just does not process lyrics when I'm listening to yeah. it. I'm too distracted by um, the other musical aspects. So. When I heard a girl like me, all I the only lyric that stood out in my brain was um, uh-huh. "You don't love me no more." So I was like, I need to read the lyrics of this because yeah, it's and then I regretted it. So it's like, what a genius! I said, oh no. <laughs> I just was like, mm. it's just I just think it's not interesting to me when you frame it like, oh, like we're hoeing out of spite. Like well, girl, like maybe I should wear so- fashion over dresses. I'm like, yeah, and it's just should. like. First of all, like nobody's stopping you from also wearing fast fashion if you so choose. But also like don't dis like I mean I feel like if you were gonna dis fast fashion for like the ethical concerns, that would be one thing. But like to diss the fast fashion girls for what? Like that because has they're a blue girl complex, I feel. I don't really listen to music that much, but from what I've seen on Yeah. I was kind of un- I was just frustrated because so Jasmine's my birthday twin. Like Jasmine's <gasps> and I have the exact same oh, birthday. Yes, we have your birthday twin. 
And she's one of many Aries women who I think have contributed a lot to music, particularly Black Aries women. My issue is that all the current Black Aries women in music are birds. You got, you got Jasmine Sullivan, you got Ari Lennox, you got Summer Walker, Aries women chirping, like (laughs) chirping all the time. And it's just like, it's the representation we get. Because like, when I think of the past, it's like, we got Mariah, we got Diana Ross, we got Shaka Khan. They weren't, Aretha, they weren't giving like Bird Central. And that's my problem. Because the new girls, it's like, I be listening to the lyrics and I'm just like, y'all are all extremely talented, but what are you saying? Um, okay, so in my, in my defense of Jasmine Sullivan, um, the thing I love about her is that she is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. She clearly takes on different personas. And so when I hear the bird chirping, I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> no, that's somebody else. She's speaking. <laughs> somebody speaking through her. Yes, that's she's a vessel. I, I like to think. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a fair take I think with this project I'll give her a little bit of pass because the interludes did make me feel like maybe she was writing songs towards the experience that's what that's how I interpret on it. the interludes so I will I will give her that but even then it's like there are some things that don't need to be put out into the universe and I don't know I just was kind of like okay it was just annoying. And I think a girl like me in particular annoyed me. And I personally, like my favorite song on the EP is Pick Up Your Feelings, which she released like first, like earlier. I think she released Pick Up Your Feelings and Lost One were like the first song she released yeah, from the that, project. And personally, I think those were the best ones. Although I do think her song with Ari is very good. It's, it's like, me. it's like, it's sonic heaven. Like it's, it's great. It's perfect. But even then, just like little little bird moments here and there. Um, um, I, I love price tags with yeah um, that beat. Yeah, I just think in general, I was like beautiful gowns. Like this sounds amazing. Also, Ari Lennox is hilarious. She's so funny. Like hands down, like I would just listen to her talk about just about anything. Like she's hilarious. Um, and she's also like from DC, so like we have that connect too. So we got the Zodiac Connect and we got like the Hometown Connect. I, I appreciate her a lot, but she also like, she has a tendency to chirp as well. And I just, I just struggle. I'm just like, why, why is all the areas representation so bird heavy? Actually, I think the reason why the girls are birds now more than before is because people didn't have the opportunity to speak as much like mm. back in the day. So maybe Aretha and Mariah and Shaka Khan had a couple bird thoughts tweeting in their heads, but they weren't able to tweet it. Yeah. You understand? So, and media training is different now. I don't think they- This is true. Media training. This is true. I, I'm honestly starting to wonder if people even have PR, PR people anymore. Because I'm seeing tweets and I'm like, I know nobody looked at that before it got sent out. Yeah, I'm just, I, apparently I saw one tweet that said that people, people hire their friends as PR. Oh, I didn't okay. hire their friends to be their team. So people don't actually have any, um, what's going to call it, training. Yeah. And, and you can tell. I don't know how true that is, but it's feasible. So yeah, we, I think we really need to stop getting into this episode because we've been... We've been... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about like, like R&B music and like the sounds of, you know, the Pick Me Choir. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Jasmine might be my favorite though, like of the three. Yes. 
Okay, so in this episode, we will be discussing Bridgerton um, with all of its colorblind <laughs> marvelousness. Um, and I guess before we really get into the show, Jordan, what's your favorite period drama? Yeah, so I think if I had to say a show, like a like a show that was like, I guess like in that like period genre, I would say probably Game of Thrones, X out the last season. That last season was terrible. Ooh. But like in general, I think that was probably like the only period show I've watched at length, like for that many seasons. And I think that when it was good, it was really good. Mm. Um, so that was definitely one of, my favorites. And then for a film, I would say Belle, which is an Ama Asante film starring Gugu Mbatha-Raw. And I think I love that movie mostly because I love Gugu. I think that she's like an amazing actress. Yes. Yeah, so I, I kind of ride for her. Like any movie she's in, I'm probably going to watch it. And I, I've, I'm generally like pretty like weary about Ama Asante films because she tends to be in that, um, that swirl propaganda spot is like where she likes to reside. Mm. Um, but I think it's one of her better, her better films. And maybe because of the fact that it has historical source material, whereas like some of the other films, it's like she's, she's making stuff up, which I think is different. So yeah, I would say Belle and Game of Thrones are probably my two like favorite like period pieces. Um, for me, I'm not really into like, I guess, the typical period dramas, especially being British, you know, they love to reminisce yeah. when the sun was high. <laughs> during the empire and so there's so many period pieces I think there's probably like a period drama at least um if not recurring series a new one every year or every other year and in general I'm more interested in more recent history I think the 20th century Mm -hmm. is fascinating um so I've had to pick period pieces I did enjoy watching the crown um Mm -hmm. the last um two seasons of it even then I didn't I started watching the first season and I got bored because I just can't connect to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, I found The Crown very interesting. And then also, I guess a period piece would be like Dreamgirls. Yeah. No, Dreamgirls is great. I'm good with that. That's yeah. Favorite musical, one of my no, that's definitely the period. I think people always assume period piece has to mean like 18th, 19th century. Yeah. Um, but there are lots of there are lots of like 20th century period pieces. And Dreamgirls is definitely it's definitely a good one. I'm like always like in my head, like, Effie, we all got pain. (laughs) (laughs) Effie, oh God, that's one of my favorite scenes. It's so good. I also just feel like the way Jennifer Hudson, like, just completely put her foot into that role for me. It's, you know, a moment most pleasing in her career, Mm. as as I would say. Um, She really is that girl. I don't know. I've always been a J-Hud stan. Like, I always wanted wanted things to work out for her. Um, so, yeah. I'm hoping we get to see her, like, acting again. I think she's supposed to be in a biopic soon, actually. Actually, yeah, she's she's playing Aretha. She's playing Aretha Franklin. Yes, I heard that. I don't think that she looks much like Aretha, but apparently that's who Aretha wanted to play her. So. If Aretha said so, then so be it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aretha gets what she wants, so. Period. Shall we get Okay. Into- Yes, let's get into the nitty gritty. All right. So for some background, Bridgerton is a Netflix series based on the novel The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. And it is the first in a series of books about the Bridgerton family and their quest to find love and marriage. The TV adaptation was created by Chris Van Dusen, 
and produced by Shonda Rhimes and her production company, Shondaland. Um, it's important to note that Rhimes is credited as an executive producer and not a writer. There's been some confusion about that. Also drawing on romance novels about high society in the early 19th century, the show basically follows the lead character, Daphne Bridgerton, who is played by Phoebe Denever. Denever, I would assume that's how you pronounce that, um, <laughs> who is a debutante who becomes entangled in a complicated romance with the Duke of Hastings, who is portrayed by- My boyfriend. Reggie. Is it Reggie? Um, Reggie Jean Page, I imagine. Reggie Jean Page, yeah. It's like French. Fancy. Um, (laughs) While she searches for a husband during the social season. As a host of other characters encounter steamy affairs and scandals in the upper echelons of society, the mysterious Lady Whistledown watches their every move, publishing their secrets in an influential gossip rag. Despite its drama and passionate sex scenes, passionate sex scenes is actually quite dubious. The, the supposedly passionate sex scenes, Bridgerton has sparked attention for its racially diverse depiction of the Regency era, which is the final years of George III's reign. Okay. Ooh, okay. Where so, do you want to start? Yeah. Well, we're really going to talk about the race bending or the supposed race, well, no, the race bending in Bridgerton. But before mm-hmm. that, I guess we can talk about our first thoughts about the show. Um, yeah. Yeah, what stuck into you? Uh, stuck into you? Oh my god, the passion sex scene. What stuck? <laughs> what stuck out to you? <laughs> what stuck out to you other than race in the show? So I think that the show, I think, well, for one, I wasn't entirely sure if I was going to watch the show off top, mm. just because I'm not generally like super into this time period. Same. Um, and because I am like, I do tend to lean more towards like if I'm gonna go like into a period drama I generally lean more towards like historical like into like projects that are dealing with like the actual history of that time period Mm. so I I was kind of like originally like not sure if I wanted to watch Bridgerton but I must say that once I started it was kind of hard to stop it does I think have a kind of um I think it's entertaining and I think that I think that it is kind of a I don't know, fun. Like, I think yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. process of, like, watching and, like, seeing these characters, um, I think it's fun. And I and I think that in a lot of ways, people have already made, I guess, those allusions or, like, parallels to Gossip Girl, which is obviously a more contemporary production. Although, I mean, at some point, maybe Gossip Girl will also be considered a period piece. But I would say that um, as somebody who watched Gossip Girl, there were ways in which this felt familiar to me. Like, the kind of, like, person in the shadows who, like, knows everything that's going on. And I think that's probably what drew me in. I think if it didn't have Lady Whistledown, I don't know if I would have been into it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I think I think that helped a lot. The mystery angle, what I think was interesting for me. Yeah, because I'm, I'm even like a Pretty Little Liars fan. Like I was somebody who, I was right, always right, kind of right. into those kinds of shows where there was like this kind of person whose identity wasn't revealed, who was a major character. So I think that that was, that was fun for me. What about you? Um, so I wouldn't have watched this if it wasn't for the podcast either, because, um, period dramas aren't my bag and also romances in my bag either. Mm. Um, so, but it was all right. It was good for what it was. Um, yeah, I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't watch the second, actually, would I watch the second season? Maybe if it got good reviews, I did get a bit bored towards the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of like ran out of steam. 
but yeah, it was it was fun. It was some nice light viewing. Usually, the stuff I watch, I like my favorite TV shows like Black Mirror, so I mm-hmm. <laughs> watch some like tense stuff. So it was nice to watch something light for a change. I found the um, the theme of like gender and sexual oppression of women interesting because I didn't realize that um, women in that time, well, certain upper class women in that time period didn't even know what sex was which makes no sense to me because if you don't know what sex is, then how do you know to avoid it? Yeah. Like you might end up doing it accidentally or whatnot. Um, and apparently a friend told me that that was a um, common theme in the literature, at least the body literature at that time of like mm. women being tricked into having sex because they didn't know what it was. Yeah. So that was very interesting to think about because I encountered that before. And yeah, I think apart from race, that was for me, like the most interesting dynamic, especially like how they treat, how men treated women based on class when it came to sex. Um, yeah. Yeah, the big issue of like defiling somebody if you even just kiss them, if they're upper class women, but there's nothing to defile when it comes to other women. And so they would just treat them yeah. as is, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that like, I want to say her name is Sienna, I think yes. on the show. I felt bad for um, her. I did too, but I also felt like there was something really underdeveloped about her character that I would have liked to have seen, I think. But I guess it makes sense. I mean, I think these like Regency era romances are, I mean, the whole point is that they're concerned with status and like and like class. So I think mm. it makes sense that there wouldn't be this like real investment in the, the lower class individuals. Um, I think the only person we see who's like not of high class, who like we get to see the inside of their home even is, um, is one of Simon's friends the yeah. the boxer do you remember yeah. his name no he was good looking i don't right? remember his name either he was fine i liked watching him on screen yes um i was like i was like this is interesting <laughs> all of a sudden all of a sudden this is interesting yeah like simon is also cute but like there are different types of cute yes, um absolutely yeah yeah i think another thing that stood out to me in terms of the show like in addition i think to the kind of like the way that they race bend and like there are all these things that kind of like don't make sense for the time period kind of Mm -hmm. was also the music I think that was Mm -hmm. something that I was like very much like taken aback by when I first started watching it was I was like wait a second is that thank you next (laughs) (laughs) what got me was when they started playing bad guy (laughs) 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 um I don't know I thought that was funny and I think that there's something really interesting about like the moment we're in right now in terms of like TV and film where I think that there are some really interesting ways people are using music. Yes. I think even when I think about, um, oh, what is it? Oh, I feel like, I feel like Jordan Peele, like in some of his projects has done some interesting things with music, giving certain songs new meanings, like in the horror genre that they don't have in their like contemporary genre. And I think that, I think that that's been interesting, but even Lovecraft Country did that where like they're playing like Cardi B in like the middle of the show and it's like completely not set in the same time period so I think there's something interesting happening right now in terms of like how people are are scoring like these different projects um and I think it works better in some than it does in others yeah I think like Insecure is a is like the first example that comes to my head when talking about like music in tv shows or films at the moment because like the soundtrack of Insecure is a thing in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, because the music's like that good and they went out the way to find like Solange and I can't remember who else um, scored yeah. at least the first season. Yeah, I think that, I think Insecure definitely, I think 
reasserted I think the value of like a good soundtrack like mm-hmm. on a show I think that we had gotten a bit lazy about music on tv but I do feel like Insecure doesn't really cross that like temporal barrier like they don't go into music that's like super old for example so I do think there's something interesting about like this period like these period pieces that are using contemporary music in particular yeah so like the music <laughs> the music as well as like the costuming of the show like the wigs and stuff yeah at first, like, I didn't mind the race bending because of that. Because I was like, oh, this isn't historically accurate at all. Like, let's go crazy. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> like, of course, let's add black people in. Like, why not? <laughs> but then I was disappointed to find that they were trying to um, ground race in some sort of, like, historical aspect. Or yeah. give a reason for why there's black people there. Because um, Lady Danbury, who's one of my favorite characters, um, starts mm-hmm. speaking about... Um, society used to be divided by color until the um, king married a black woman and now like love has conquered all and we're um, yeah this equals and I'm like hold on hold on hold on hold on this doesn't make any <laughs> either deal with race properly in a historical context or don't do it at all and I do think you can have a historical piece that is um, racially colorblind if it's completely um like if there's a suspension of disbelief and fantasy, because if you can play Thank You Next on a string quartet, then like, why not have black people? Yeah. Like. Yeah, I think my problem was that they tried to justify it. Yes. And in trying to justify it, they then created like all these new questions for me because it's like, okay, like if these communities were previously segregated by color and were united by this like, this high status marriage, like, is that integration taking place amongst the lower classes as well? Like, what does that look like for people who are not wealthy? But also, like, are you telling me that there's no remaining tension about this major social shift? Like, how long are we supposed to believe that things have been integrated? I don't know. I, w- I would think of something that major happened, that there would be people who had problems with it. And I think the only person we actually see voice any real kind of dissent about the idea of this like this new kind of project is Simon because when when Lady Danbury says like oh like love changed everything like love changes everything and he's like love changes nothing and I honestly think that was like one of the more like powerful lines in the show I was joking that I felt like he was giving us he was giving us a little bit of like an (laughs) Afro-pessimist moment with that with that little comment um I just think that Simon in general like I think he actually is a more interesting character than Daphne in a lot of ways. Everybody um, is, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not hard to be more interesting than Daphne. Let's just say that. <laughs> but like, it's really not hard. Like, she's very milk toast, and I think that in large part, I think Daphne is written so that she can be easily projected on by like audiences. So oh, I think that yeah. she's supposed to be bland in a certain way. I think people prefer their female leads to be bland in a lot of ways. Interesting. Cause I think the Twilight's kind of like that too. Like I think a lot of the oh, like, I, yeah. the major I, ones, especially I think for like young adult literature, like teen literature space, like the girls tend to be very bland. Yeah, um, not that romance in order for you to project yourself onto um, the yeah. character and then imagine yourself in the steamy romance, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the the male love interest in like in these little like like fantasy romance stories always end up being more elaborately written than the female protagonist because I think that she's supposed to be like someone that like any random girl reading could project herself onto. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that being said, I think Simon is carrying the plot on his back. And I think he's far more interesting. Do you want to talk a little bit about Simon's family? And like, I guess how they fit into the kind of the racial world of the story? Yeah, I don't even think they do fit into the racial world of the story. Because like, yeah, I mean, because the only race, like world building in terms of like race and history mm-hmm. that's done in the um, in the script is that one at one conversation between Lady Danbury and Simon, and so I don't understand how you could have a duke, a black duke, in the time span of um, George the Third's marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say about the racial depiction of um, Simon's family is the colorism aspect. Yeah, um, yeah. There's very few dark skinned people. Actually, that's a lie. There's dark skinned people. Um, there's quite a few dark skinned people in the show, but they're all wallpaper. They're all non-speaking characters. They're always in the background. But one of the few um, dark skinned characters who do speak, who does speak, is um, Simon's father, who is very, very abusive to um, Simon and yeah. his mother, um, because Simon's mother dies in childbirth. And the Duke doesn't care at the time. He's only interested in just having an heir. I feel like in some ways, I guess for me, I felt like, Simon's family fits into the racial world making, particularly in the sense of like how pressed his father is to continue their line. Right. Like to me, his his insistence and his obsession makes more sense when you consider the fact that these are supposed to be people who are new to this level of status. Like they Mm -hmm. haven't had this kind of access for this long. And that that's potentially what drives his father to be so concerned with an heir, like to the point where he doesn't even seem to care that much for his wife or like his child, but he's kind of more just accepts with obsessed with like continuing like the lineage and that level of detachment to me feels like it might come from this feeling like this sense of pressure. Yes. To, like establish themselves in a space that they're like, that like people like them haven't been in prior. And I don't know. And I think, I think if that is the case, and that's how I read it personally. I'm not sure if that's how it's supposed to be read, but like, if that is the case, and I think the tension between him and his father becomes, I think a bit more meaningful because then it becomes a question of like, you have this like older generation that is like the generation that integrates them into this this white upper class. And then the generation that's born into that who potentially resent it. Mm. And like, like who who I think are like frustrated with this, like the way that they've been forced into this project. Because even him saying that love love changes nothing, like, I feel like there's one side where you could be like, oh, he means that in the sense that like, you know, he's someone who who has been very unloved in his life, right? He lost his mother from birth and his father was like very cold towards him, which we can get into a little bit more, like the specifics of why his father is the way that he is towards him. But like, to me, I feel like there's like the actual like emotional side of how he is with his with his father and how unloved he felt but it also felt like him saying love changes nothing could also be an interesting kind of like indictment of the new world order mm-hmm. that they're in like for him to be like oh like this marriage between like queen charlotte and um and king george doesn't mean necessarily what we think it means yeah i love the way that you put that and it makes a lot of sense but i don't think that's what the writer's intentions were because no, if it I was agree. then it would have written that into script and made it more clear. i agree i'm probably i'm probably just like working really hard You're to working like very make, hard <laughs> to make to make simon into a black studies scholar like i want oh, him baby. like so badly to be like you know there's no world without the slave <laughs> <laughs> Like, 
like I'm forcing it. But I do think there's something interesting about that line. And I, I thought about it a lot, like after watching the show, because I think, mm. I think on one hand, like the post-racial like vision of like, even the, the, the lead couple is an interracial couple. Yes. And so it's like for them to have this interracial couple who have a love marriage in a time when no one else is having love marriages. And then for them to be set across a backdrop of like a newly in, racially integrated society, for him to say that love changes nothing does kind of contradict the very argument the show's trying to create. Yes, yes, agreed. Oh, do you want to talk about how the casting isn't actually colorblind? Because I do think there's um, yeah. there's tropes that fall into like who was, um, who the casting directors decided to be um, black characters versus yeah. white characters. And even with this interracial couple at the center of the series, I think it's very, very deliberate that Daphne, who's meant to be like this innocent and pure, is a white woman, mm-hmm. while um, the Duke, who's like more brooding and mysterious, is mm-hmm. played by a mixed man, played by a light-skinned mixed man, but mm-hmm. is a light-skinned black man in the um, series because he has like both both parents are shown and they're both black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think your point about how like they don't fully commit to the race bending is is a good point, and I think it's a part of like I think what both of us frustrate were frustrated with in terms of like their attempt to explain themselves. Cause I think the main kind of like historical accuracy piece that a lot of people have brought up since the show came out is about Queen Charlotte in particular. Yes. Right. Cause there's this whole conversation about her because at first a lot of people were watching the show and they're like, Oh, this is, this is not historically accurate. There were not black people in these positions. Right. And then there becomes this kind of rush from like historians and like amateur historians to kind of like, you know, like establish that like there were in fact black people in these spaces. Right. Um, And then that becomes a conversation of like trying to prove these kinds of things. And so Queen Charlotte became kind of at the the center of that conversation because she's a figure whose racial like ancestry is disputed. Like there's a lot of conversations about it. I don't believe it's been proven that she had African ancestry, but it is disputed. And there are a lot of theories about her potentially having been of at least partial African ancestry. I don't know. And I think in some ways, the fact that her race is disputed is actually kind of important to like the way the show, I think, wants to engage with history, right? Like this ability to kind of pick and choose um, how much we're going to like engage in backstory and how much we're not going to engage into it. I think Mm -hmm. picking this like historical figure who is like black, but like maybe not black kind of works for like the way that the show is. Absolutely. Yeah. I just find on top of like using Queen Charlotte as like a gateway to exploring like a racially diverse depiction of the Regency era. Because again, it's Lady Danbury points to Queen and King's marriage, but the reason why that there's like this racially diverse society that is diverse throughout the different tiers of the class system. I'm just really interested in like, especially when it comes to colorism, why certain characters are white, because truly the Bridgertons, they could have been like a black family. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why they couldn't be. And like, what happens if like Daphne's a dark-skinned woman mm-hmm. and Simon is white instead of, Simon doesn't have to be white, he mm-hmm. still could be a um, mixed race. But like, what happens if like those races are switched? Like, how does that challenge our conceptions of sexual purity and like innocence and Daphne being like this delicate woman? Yeah, because I think whiteness and femininity is like very much intact. Mm-hmm. On um, the show, yeah. I would agree. I'd agree. I think... In a lot of ways, I think part of my problem is that like, on one hand, the show is like super invested in this like very romantic 
vision of the Regency era. It's like all about like the possibility of a love marriage during a time where like many marriages were like definitely not based on mm. love in any way. And like we're we're led to like, you know, follow this character who has this really earnest desire to be married at a time when like marriage had like very real kind of economic, you know, impacts on, on women's lives and wasn't just this kind of general passionate pursuit. But I think it is interesting to me how all the black characters in some way like representations of like the way that like romance is oftentimes like more complicated like that like relationships tend to be more complicated like mm -hmm. the only people we see like who love doesn't entirely work out for them are black in some way like I think mm -hmm. that like Marina's the only person we see like who actually has a lover like leave her like in that way um, I guess technically you could say Sienna also but I think there's a way that like Sienna never really expected him to stay with her um yeah. right um but I think there's a way that like race and class in the show are kind of used to like establish like who gets to live in the love bubble and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, cause even, even for Simon, like while he is of status, the circumstances from which he's born, like immediately assert that like love isn't something that is like guaranteed, right? Cause like he loses his mother from birth and his mother gives birth after what seems like a loveless marriage. Mm -hmm. And his father is very unloving. And so it seems, it doesn't really seem like he really has much like many examples of what love looks like outside of Lady Danbury, who is, I believe, his mother's friend. Yes, yeah. And I honestly, I honestly would have loved to have seen like flashbacks of their relationship, even. Yeah. Um, like we never get to see like black women talking to other black women. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen like what black women's social lives looked like at that time. I think we only see like black characters in mostly white spaces. And the only time we see two black characters talking is like Lady Danbury and um, and Simon and then Simon and the boxer. Yeah. Um, and then we get uh, like a brief snippet of the boxer and his wife in their home. Um, yeah. And they're like, obviously framed as like being a lot poorer. But I don't know, but I think even the fact that his friend is a boxer like feels intentional to me. Yeah. Like the kind of work that he does, I, I don't know, like it feels, it's interesting to me. And I heard somebody say that like boxing in that time period was also like highly racialized, like as a, as a form of like entertainment mm. that in like certain parts of Europe, it was considered to be one, like especially with the Irish in particular, but that it's also interesting that like, I don't know, that at this time that like the main boxer we would see would be a, a black man when it seems like all these other men don't really seem to engage in like any kind of physical I don't know, like, like his yeah. physicality is like a huge part of, of who he is as a character. Mm. And we don't really get much else about him until like the end. Yeah, and building on that, I think it's a very interesting, like distinctive choice that he's cast as like a darker skinned black man mm -hmm. because dark skin is- Especially like him being darker than Simon. Yes, especially, exactly. Whether, I, that's probably a subconscious choice, but I think that that role is definitely racialized. And again, yeah, he, there's a pressure of, um, for him to like provide for his family as well. And I do think at one point he um, is talking to, I, it, is it Sir Feverington? If it's um, a man, I know it's like yeah. Ruby Lady and stuff. Um, Sir Feverington. And I think he, Sir Feverington mentions like the consequences of if um, that boxer isn't successful, like where he came from. I mean, that's the closest they go to talking about um, slavery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the closest and they kind of, they like tiptoe close to it and like don't, don't like really step 
I'm like, just stay with your chest. Yeah, and that's that's my thing. I also, I don't know. I while I don't necessarily have a problem like with with like I guess like if you're gonna if you're gonna race, then like you know commit to the project or whatever. But I think for me, like in addition to them not committing, I also kind of resent the idea that like making it historically accurate automatically means that it can't still be enjoyable to watch or that there's no story to tell. Like, mm. I don't know. I don't see, I don't see how acknowledging slavery would have automatically meant that the show wasn't entertaining anymore. Yes. Yeah. Because I think it, I honestly think it could have potentially been really interesting to think about what it would mean for some black people to be in these spaces while other black people are not. Yeah. And that, that could have been, a, that could have been an interesting conversation. But I think that there's, I don't know. I think it's kind of like people want to like pick and choose because it feels like the show is definitely interested in thinking about white women's oppression, right? Yes. I think they frame it as thinking about women's oppression, but I think it's very clearly about like white women of a certain class. Mm. Um, because even the working class white women are kind of pushing back against against like the rich white girls kind of um, assumption of like what, what women are dealing with, right? Because mm-hmm. there's like a, a whole scene where Eloise one of the Bridgerton daughters is trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is. And she accuses one of the uh, the servants of potentially being that person. And there's a really, I think it's one of the best scenes in the show to be honest. I agree. Where, where the servant like basically like reads her and basically like asserts that like nobody who like actually has to work for a living would be able to like be writing gossip columns all day. Yeah. And I think it's a really important scene especially because Eloise as a character is, is written as being like a bit self-righteous. Um, a bit. <laughs> I don't like bad vibes. <laughs> bad vibes all around. <laughs> but Eloise. Yeah. He's just like very self-righteous and judgmental. And I was talking to Liberty about this like before we recorded, but I, I felt like some of the dynamic between Eloise and um, Daphne reminded me a lot of Arya and Sansa in Game of Thrones. And I was kind of frustrated with that, especially because when I saw like fan commentary about Bridgerton, even the like immense favoritism for Eloise kind of annoyed me because I think that she and Daphne are both annoying. Yeah. I think they're both annoying. And I think that's, I think that's what they have in common is that they're both annoying. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't feel like she's better than her sister because I think as, at least her sister knows what she wants. Yeah. Eloise doesn't know what she wants. She just knows she doesn't want what's being offered to her, but like she has no real vision and like, she has like judgment for everybody but like she doesn't have any real sense of like direction or like passion for anything in particular and Mm -hmm. I wasn't really a fan of just like how their relationship is portrayed I think obviously you know like siblings fight siblings have beef or whatever but I think I don't know I think there's potentially a better way to write about those relationships and I think that the more recent adaptation of Little Women that Greta Gerwig um I think she wrote and directed that version or yeah she, yeah, yeah, she snapped on that one. Yeah, I think that I think that Greta Gerwig did a really good job of writing the relationship between Joe and Amy in that Little Women version, like, a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I think really, like, I don't know, like, zeroing in on, like, how we might, how we kind of portray that, like, hyper-feminine character as, like, always being the villain um, in those kinds of stories. And I think that, I think she does a really good job of asserting that, like, Amy is a girl who's making choices within like a very particular patriarchal culture, but like that Joe isn't better than her just because she's different or like she's traditionally less feminine. Yeah. But speaking of interesting characters, I think we really need to talk about Marina. 
Um, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about oh, Marina. Marina and the tragic mulatto. Prayers um, up for my sis because I just feel like so. Like Marina really is the only young black woman we really see on the show at length. Yes. Um, yeah. Because Lady Danbury is older and she's, I believe, a widow. Um, I think that's why she has so much freedom um, to do what she does. Um, I actually think Lady Danbury is like the most interesting character who gets no backstory. Um, Exactly. My favorite character on the show. But yeah. um, Look at me already talking about everybody but Marina. I just feel like (laughs) it's not that there's nothing to talk about with Marina. It's just that I was just like, why? Like, literally why and my thing is that like I think maybe I would have been less bothered if Marina was white but I think that like having her be the only black girl like of that age range on a show that's like all about these young women going out for like their marital like season right to get like married off it was kind of frustrating that she's like the pariah essentially for like a huge part of the show I don't know I also was like kind of weirded out because on one hand like the show is like supposed to be like in that racial harmony mode but it was kind of weird to me how confused the Featheringtons were that people were attracted to Marina yes um and I my first thought when I saw it was like what but race would explain why y'all don't think she's cute because yeah, I was looking at her and I said, well Marina's cuter than all of the Featherington girls so like why is it that you see her and immediately are like Mm, like sticking up your nose I was kind of confused because this is before they even know she's pregnant yes and as a recap um in case you don't remember um yeah Marina is I guess like a distant family friend or is somehow connected to the Fredbringtons and they take her in because their gambling father owes Marina's father money Mm -hmm. but they soon find out that um Marina is pregnant because she had an affair with a soldier um who was off at war and um, she's been writing love letters to the, sol- to the soldier, but um, after some time, those love letters stop. And so she's in a crisis because she's pregnant with his child and she needs to find a husband before she starts showing. So yeah, and I won't spoil anything more. Yeah, I just, I, what upset me about Marina is that she didn't catch a break Never. at all. I was like, oh, my bestie's, <laughs> my bestie's going through it. <laughs> No, like, Marina is down bad, like, the entire show. And it's just like, dang. I also think part of what frustrated me also is that, like, on a show that, like, is so obsessed with the idea of, like, feminine sexual innocence, like, the entire period is obsessed with that Mm. idea. I think it's really weird how the most, the characters who are framed as being the most sexual are all Black. It's, yes, that's what I'm talking about in like, terms of choices of casting and the fact that it's Yeah, not really and so my thing is like, I'm never going to say that like we can't have stories about, you know, like teen pregnancies. Never. I'm the product of a teen pregnancy. I would never say something like that. But I think my issue was more that like in this environment, why is it that like all the Black characters are framed that way? I mean, because even, even Simon does a lot of like sex education for Daphne, like on the show, like he teaches her how to masturbate. Like she is asking him all these questions like about how sex works. Um, and she's just completely unaware, right? And that's like a byproduct of like how these girls are being raised in these upper class environments. But it's really weird because the black people in those same environments don't seem to be nearly as unaware. Yeah, why? Cause even like Marina has to tell Penelope 
Oh, she, I don't know if she fully tells her where babies come from, but she... Yeah, I mean, she explains that, like, you can get pregnant without being married, which yeah. is, like, a mind blow for, like, for, like, these girls at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they've never even realized that that was possible, right? And then you have these white girls, like, running home to, like, tell their moms, like, you know, like, oh, I realize that you can get pregnant without being married, right? And that becomes, like, a scandal for them at the time. I don't know. I just think I was kind of annoyed with that, like, the whole, like, Black people as like sex educators was like a little annoying for me and not even because I'm like super invested in like the the whole like sexual virtue plot but just more so because there was no range because there's so few black characters and then for them to all be kind of represented as like being somehow more sexually mature than other people was just kind of weird I think it makes more sense for Simon because he's a man during that time frame but for Marina it was a little bit frustrating the way that was framed especially because she arguably still is very innocent right like she arguably still is like very immature and like very much a child struggling to figure out what she's going to do and I think that it takes a really long time for anyone to be empathetic towards her Penelope is towards the beginning but I think that Penelope so Penelope is one of the Featherington's daughters I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like share too much about Penelope's like whole backstory but I feel like like she kind of uh I think judges her too like even though I think she becomes friends with her I think she's also very judgmental towards Marina at times and very like punitive like I think she punishes her yeah um, in ways that I thought were really unfair and I I hated how much of Marina's life was dependent on the mercy of like mostly white women and I just was kind of like you're telling me this is race bent, but it feels very uncomfortable for me to watch a black woman, like mixed or otherwise, be beholden to white people's whims like this. Like, I just, I was not a fan of like, of that process. Cause it's like, if, if you're going to go there, like just acknowledge the history. Cause it would be one thing if we were to understand Marina in the same way that we understand like Gugu's character and like Belle, who is like, mm-hmm a direct descendant of like an enslaved woman and like a a noble like white man, right? And like we understand that when she goes to live with her white family after her father like purchases her freedom, we understand that to be like a big deal, Mm -hmm. right? And we understand why the family's being stank, right? We know like the time and the climate, but it's just weird like for Marina to show up and for everyone to already be kind of like mean to her and like Mm -hmm. like, kind of unkind until they see that she has value like because Mm -hmm. men want her. And also there's that scene where that older white man suitor is looking at Marina and like, it's filmed or at least p- portrayed as um, a slave auction because he's like looking at a yeah. thief and literally like circling around her. And no, in no other depiction is a man, is a suitor looking at yeah. a potential wife like that. None of the other women, different. none of the other young girls we see are surveyed in that way. Like there definitely is predatory behavior. Like we do yes. absolutely see like Daphne has an encounter with one of her suitors who's much older, who makes a comment about how like he's been interested in her for years, even though she's like very, very young. Mm. Um, and like there are moments where we get a sense that there's a lot of like predatory behavior afoot, <laughs> as one might say, right? But I think that like it is weird how I guess invasive it is with Marina, like how like invasive it is for this man to just go up to her and like look at her teeth and inspect her body. Mm-hmm. And I think that none of the other girls are inspected in that way. Yeah. I yeah, think. I don't know. Do you want to, I guess, I feel like Marina's a good segue, I think, into like one of the 
last like big points we wanted to talk about which was like I guess that like race and sex representation on the show yes and so for trigger warning for listeners we will be talking about like sexual violence and rape um in this section of the podcast yes so yeah race and sex we've already like touched on it before but yeah very interesting role um you want to talk about when Daphne violates Simon? yeah so I want to say that like there's a lot about Daphne and Simon's relationship that is bad like there's a lot about their relationship that like off top already hinges on a lot of lying for one but two a lot of boundary crossing like off top Mm -hmm. it's just like a lot of like really like selfish behavior that takes place but I think one scene that troubled me the most is a scene where once Simon and Daphne are married they marry under the pretense that one okay so it's, it's, it's like a weird like dynamic so they have to get married because Simon basically kisses her as an unmarried woman and she basically is like ruined in the eyes of the society because she's been kissed by a man and basically he marries her to preserve her honor right to basically say I kissed her I'm going to claim her right Mm -hmm. so that she's not soiled in like (laughs) social ruin right and so they get married because he imposes himself on her and then her future is kind of taken out of her hands in a very big way but they kind of create this like narrative around it because he confesses his love and she confesses her love and is supposed to be like perfect and good and great. But they also agree to marry under the, I guess, uh, like, like she, Daphne's supposed to be aware essentially that Simon cannot have kids. He tells her that he cannot have children and Daphne being largely unaware of just like how sex works and how like reproduction works. She believes that he has like a medical condition and that he cannot produce children she comes to find out that he's actually like using like the pullout method and that he can in fact have kids, but he does not want to have kids. And she gets really angry with him. And basically, she basically assaults him. Like there's a scene where um, a couple, like I guess days or maybe weeks after they've been married, she figures things out. Again, she reaches out to a, a lower class woman to find out about sex. And she basically forces Simon like and I guess she doesn't force him to have sex but she forces him I guess not to have sex on his terms because he he pulls out that's what he wants to do um and she doesn't let him and it's a really disturbing scene in part because while Simon is very clearly disturbed and traumatized by it I think it is I think the show like very dangerously kind of justifies her behavior because they're kind of like oh well like he lied to her he betrayed her. So like, I think we're made to feel all the sympathy for Daphne as someone who I guess had her future taken from her by this man twice over, right? Like she has to marry him because of a decision he made and she will potentially have a a life without children, which she says that she wants because he decided he doesn't want to have kids. And all those are, are, you know, they are betrayals, right? They are like things that he did that I think are wrong, but I don't, I still don't think it gives her the right to cross his boundaries. And I think if she was a woman who didn't want to have kids, I feel like we would feel like that was her prerogative. Yeah, I, yeah, you put it so well. Also, I remember you said being disturbed by the imagery of like a white woman, mm-hmm. yeah, sexually violating a black man in this time period. It, it just yeah. like, uh, it just set up all my red flags. Cause it's just like, it's just like, I feel like if we're gonna go the post-racial route, like at least remove the suffering 
of like anti-blackness but it's like if they're still suffering how post-racial is it and that's my problem I just felt like I didn't want to see that and I also was just annoyed because I think the show has a little kind of like white feminist lean and I thought it was just frustrating because it was just like for the show to create all this kind of sympathy towards Daphne as a character and to be like really invested in this idea of, of women's kind of power and authority for it not to acknowledge that despite the fact that these girls may be oppressed or repressed in a certain way that they have the capacity to do harm was a problem for me yeah I don't know I think that like like to me like the sex education piece ought to have included that you have the capacity to harm anyone that you have sex with if you cross their boundaries and I thought it was weird that there was only this kind of awareness of men as sexual aggressors even though I think what Daphne did was like I personally I would consider it to be rape I think yeah, that it was yeah. like a complete breach of his uh of his autonomy mm-hmm. it actually reminded me a lot of I May Destroy You like that scene yes, yeah. where the guy um the South Asian guy takes off the condom with um with Arabella and it takes a minute for her to like begin to refer to that as sexual assault but she does And I felt very similar about this scene where I felt like it was a situation where someone had consented to sex on very particular terms and then someone like undoes those terms. And and that's where the problem is created. I don't know. I think there wasn't enough care for Simon in that in that space and that his vulnerability was kind of disregarded, which I think was a problem for me. Yes, absolutely. Um, And it made me feel very um, like I didn't have any sympathy towards um, Daphne from that point onwards. Mm-hmm. Especially when um, she realizes that she isn't with child. And yeah, she's like crying to her mother. And it's going to be very dramatic. And I was like, but you. <laughs> like, I'm like. But it's like, would you. I just think what? it's really weird. Because I think I think they frame her as like this super earnest girl. Who just like, oh, she just wants to be married. She just wants to have kids so bad. But it's like, what kind of parent are you going to be? If this is what you do to have what you want. I just like, in general, I just was kind of like, mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to think, I think as much as she could be like, oh, you know, Simon, like, do you hate your father more than you love me? My thing is like, do you want children more than what you, do love, you your love Simon? Because like for you to completely violate him so you could have kids is a problem for me. And it's also weird because like, do you really want to bring kids into an environment where their father will not want them? It doesn't make any sense. It's like you're recreating trauma. He literally was a child that was brought into a like- A loveless space. A loveless home, yeah. right? Like, why would you want to recreate that? I just I just was not a fan. I was not a fan at all. I think it was clear that Simon was genuinely hurt. I just didn't think that there was enough engagement with why yes. that hurt him. Um, I think there was a bit too much leaning towards Daphne's side in a way that I was very uncomfortable with. I don't know. I think I think we're just made to like judge him for his decision not to have kids. And my thing is that even if he decides he doesn't want babies out of revenge for his father, that's his right. And I just feel like the like the reproductive justice or like autonomy piece felt like it wasn't being given to him. Even mm-hmm. though there was all this conversation about like women and like their child rearing desires. And it was like, wanting to have kids is just as valid as not wanting to have kids. Yes. We are running long on time, unfortunately. So we originally planned to like talk about other examples of historically, well, historical racial diverse um, casting. 
And so we came up with was Cinderella, the brandy version of Cinderella um, that was released in 1997. And I think yes. that's probably the only colorblind casting that I can think of. And then there's Hamilton. <laughs> We're not even going to really get into Hamilton like that. But just so y'all, y'all know, my primary critique of Hamilton is just that, like, you can't make Black slave owners and not make white slaves. I- <laughs> that's my problem. If you want to commit, you commit. But the refusal to show white people enslaved shows me that whiteness was still intact. And that's my problem. It's a failure to commit. You pick, you can do your little hip hop jams and pretend that Thomas Jefferson had a wash and go, but it's a lie. It's a lie. And until I see a bunch of white people in bondage, I know you're not serious. I know you're not serious. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. Like Lin-Manuel, like it's a joke to me. It's a joke to me. And I've seen Hamilton. Like I, I saw it, like I know what it is. And I still was like, yeah, girl, but like, where the white slaves? I'm screaming. I've also seen Hamilton. So if you want us to um, like the actual play. So if you want us to talk about it, just leave a comment or something. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> I didn't even want to let you said it now. <laughs> um, there's also Mary Queen of Scots that was released in 2018. I haven't watched that. And I also haven't watched The Personal History of David Copperfield, which stars Dev Patel King. Mm-hmm. Dev Patel as the um, main character of Charles yeah. Dickens' adaptation. So, yeah. But, yeah, it seems to be quite a trend because the last three films you mentioned all came out in the past five or six years. Yeah. So we'll probably see a lot more, like, um, race-bending and historical dramas both, I guess, historically accurate and historically inaccurate. Yeah. Fictional. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the problem is also that people just, like, don't want to come up with, like, don't want to write stories anymore. So they're just taking things that have already happened and just yes, like, remaking okay. them. I think it's, I think, I think some of it's coming out of laziness. Yes. Um, and my biggest issue, especially when I saw the um, trailer for David Copperfield, is, like, I would rather watch, like, an Indian character within an historical piece from Mm -hmm. like an Indian canon of literature Mm -hmm. or film rather than watch an Indian person play a white person's role. Like I'm much more interested in like Asian stories or African stories or indigenous stories in other areas. Yeah, than watch um, white stories of a black or brown face. I agree. I think even if you're like super interested in like royalty and like you only want to tell stories about the upper crust it's not like other places didn't exactly there's loads of stories there's so many kingdoms like literally pick one i just think it's lazy and i think even if they wanted to do a movie with dev patel in england they could have like it's not like his people don't have a particular history (laughs) with the british like give it up girl like stop like literally stop playing with me it's lazy. It's just lazy. <laughs> they don't want to do any work. And so they're just like, oh, we're just going to like, we're just going to give him a role we would have given to a white man. And it's like, he deserves a role for him. Exactly. He deserves a role. And on that note, I think we'll end. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. To continue this conversation, check out our reading list for this episode on our link tree, where you'll find all the sources we read to shape this discussion. Please leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening to, because we'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep up with us on Instagram and Twitter at at LoseYourSister, and email us at LoseYourSister at gmail.com.
We hope you'll be back for our next episode in two weeks. Bye. Bye.